Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Then in John chapter 4 verse 23, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Why does God allow trials in our lives? Have you ever wondered that? Why would God allow a difficulty or a trial, a testing of my faith into my life? Well, you know, some of the trials that we face are chastisement. God chastens his children, and sometimes God just lets the natural outcome of our sin be the chastisement that we face, okay? You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's just take an individual who, for years, maybe they consumed alcohol. They drank for years and years and years, and then they get saved. And then shortly after they've gotten saved, they find out they have cirrhosis of the liver, was that God punishing them? No, that's just God letting the natural outcome of what they've done for years and years and years take its course in their lives. And sometimes God uses things like that to chasten us. Does God allow trials to show us how strong we are in Him? James chapter 1 verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Has anybody ever asked, give me patience, be careful? Now, patience taught really right here means endurance, being able to stand, be able to last. And the Word of God says, God may allow the testing of your faith to teach you a lesson, child of God, to help you learn something, to help you find out, hey, I can be strong in the Lord. I have no strength in my own life. I have no strength in myself, but I am strong in the Lord. And I can trust him and I can depend upon him and he will see me through these trials and through these temptations. Sometimes he may allow trials to teach us. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 3. He said, we glory in tribulations also. Now do you glory in tribulations? Don't answer that. I know how I react in tribulations. You may react the same way. I'm not going to tell you how I react in tribulations. <laughs> but he said, we glory in tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. There's that word again. There's endurance. The trying of your faith works patience. And patience experience. I've explained this verse so many times. I feel guilty about explaining it again. Not really, but I'm going to. A trial comes along, we trust God, God brings us to it, we stand, all right, that's endurance, and we get on the other side of it, and now we have an experience to look back on when another trial comes. Look, God brought me through that, God will bring me through this. I got to tell you something, about, I told the Sunday school class about this message, by the way, and I put something on Facebook the other day about how God is wonderful, God is faithful, I've forgotten now exactly, I'm not going to ask Sister Candy to pull it up again, so she pulled up something else that I put on Facebook and read it. But anyway, I put it on Facebook because here's what was happening Friday morning. I had, I'd had a busy week, and, and so coming up Friday morning, I'm, I'm trying to put the finishing touches on the message, and I'm considering, I'm thinking about it, and I said, I can't do it. I can't preach this. This is not... 
it's not there, it's not ready, I'm, I'm just not gonna do it. 15 minutes later, I sat down at the computer and finished the message and I said, thank you, Lord. Amen. Folks, God's faithful Amen. and God will get you through whatever you're facing. And so experience, he, tribulation brings patience, endurance, endurance brings experience. God did that, God will do something else. Because the next thing it says, experience produces what? Hope. Hope is glad expectation. It's not iffy. It's that God's going to do something. I don't know what it is. I don't know when he's going to do it. But God is going to do something. And he says, hope doesn't make you ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So there are reasons that God allows trials to come into my, our lives, my life, your life. And I'm going to suggest one other. And this one may sound a little bit strange. God may allow trials to come into our lives to create worshipers. Amen. To create worshipers. I told the Sunday school class a little bit about the message. And I said, have you ever noticed how when we're in the middle of a difficulty and God brings us through it, man, we can't praise God enough on the other side of it, can we? Woo, we talk, woo, we talk about what the Lord has done. We're glorifying what he does in our lives, but that doesn't last very long, does it? We get a little bit farther on the other side of it, we start to forget. But sometimes God allows that to create worshipers. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And they're having the discussion, you know, you Jews say Jerusalem's the place to worship. We say this mountain of Samaria is the place to worship. And Jesus tells her, well, the day's coming. You're not going to worship in Jerusalem or in this mountain. And that's when he tells her in verse 23, what we read, the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. True worshipers. People really worshiping. See the phrase true worshipers, and some of you saw this. I noticed your comments the other day. True worshipers indicates there can be false worshipers. I mean, if you've got to designate some folks as true worshipers, there's going to be some that are going through the motions. They're not really worshiping God. They're, they may show up at church to see what everybody's wearing. They may show up for the fellowship. They may show up just to show up, but they're not there to worship God. But true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. And that's what God wants. He wants true worshipers worshiping in spirit and in truth. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1 again. You got to get this. Maybe it just makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. But listen to what it says. We're talking in 1 Peter. Verse 5. What's verse 5 if you were here Wednesday night? What's verse 5 about in 1 Peter chapter 1? Secure to the believer. We are kept by the power of God, and I love that. Now, people say, well, I can take myself away from God. Then you think you're stronger than God? You're not stronger than God. You can't jump out of God's hand, okay? We are kept, guarded is literally what that word means, by the power of God, he says here in 1 Peter, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So he's talking about the security of the believer. We're guarded, we're made known, we're manifest at the end of the age. The apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Vance Habner said, if he can keep it that long, he can keep it from then on. And I agree with him. So see, you're secure if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. 
One of these days our full salvation will be realized. Right now our spirits are saved. We're supposed to be working on our flesh and on our minds by understanding, studying, being present for the preaching of the Word of God. But our, our spirits are saved. But one of these days we'll fully, finally realize full salvation. Now here's what he says in verse 6. In all of this we rejoice. We greatly rejoice. You know what that word rejoice means? It means to jump for joy. It means to exult. Man, wouldn't it be great to see a bunch of God's children rejoicing together on a Sunday morning instead of looking like they just lost their last friend? <laughs> that means smile, all right? <laughs> okay? Rejoice. Listen, you're saved. You're secure for eternity. God has said so in his word. And in that he said, we rejoice. And look at what else he says. You're in heaviness. Heaven is here talked about distress. It talked about sadness. He said, you can rejoice even when you're in heaviness. Even when times are difficult. Even when it seems like the world's caving in. He says here, manifold or various, divers, temptations. That word temptation talks about a putting to the proof. It talks about trials. It talks about, talks about testings. He says this, if you'll stand for the truth, by the way, some of you may have seen this this past week. If you will take a firm stand for the truth, if you'll take a firm stand for the Word of God, you'll be beaten up by some believers and you'll be beaten up by most pretend believers or professed believers. Amen. Most people don't understand the truth. You know, most people want to just dip their toes into a relationship with God. Just test the water. Just see how good it's going to be and, and that's all I want. When you start getting into the word of God and standing for the word of God, you'll be beaten up. If you love the truth and will stand for the truth, God may allow Satan to test you. You know that? Now, if you don't believe that, just go to the book of Job and read the book of Job. What did God say about Job if you, to Satan? He said, You've, have you considered my servant Job? He hates evil. He loves the Lord. He's going to stand for me. He's going to live for me. And remember what Satan said. He said, well, if you'll just take some things away from him, he won't. And God allowed him to lose his fortune and God allowed him to lose his family. We're going to say a little bit more about Job in just a moment. But Job remained faithful. So he says, okay, look, you're saved. Regardless of what happens, if you ever, ever trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're saved. Got that? even when trials and temptations come, and because of that knowledge, you ought to rejoice. You ought to just be jumping for joy, child of God. Now, nobody enjoys tribulations. I understand that. Nobody enjoys trials. I understand that. But that's not what we're jumping for joy about. We're jumping for joy about, hey, these things cannot affect my salvation. Amen. And they really shouldn't affect our joy. You know it? They may affect our happiness. Happiness and joy are different. But they should not affect our joy. And then, it gets even better. Verse 7, he tells us that these testings, we ought to consider them much more precious than the testing of gold by fire. You say, what? We ought to consider testings much more precious than gold and the trying of gold by fire. Well, why should I do that? What does fire do to gold? It proves it, first of all. It's hard to burn gold. And it purifies it. If there's any kind of dross 
Anything that's not gold, it'll burn it out and you'll still have the gold. So fire both proves and purifies gold. Well, what should testings do for a child of God? Number one, they ought to prove us. They ought to prove us. A truly saved person, you get what I said, a truly saved person is not going to just quit God the first time trials and testings come along. Amen. How do you tell the difference between somebody that's saved and somebody that's not? Just watch them during trials. Just watch them during testings and, and tribulations and see how they react. Listen, if because of trials you can just walk away from God, it's pretty good evidence that you never walked with him in the first place. I've seen people just decide to quit serving God. Were they saved or lost? I don't know, but I know what the evidence says. I know what they seem to indicate when they just give up on God. So trials will prove us. And trials will do this also. They will purify us. Trials will get things out of your life that you don't need in your life as a child of God. I'm going to just go off at, a, at an angle here for a moment, but we live in a world that keeps trying to conform us to the world. Be like us. Live like us. Think like us. Have the morals or immorals of us. And I had a thought yesterday. I wrote it down. I, I said, well, this will preach one of these days. I'll get it all figured out. But America's addicted today. You realize that? America's addicted to pills and pot, okay? America's addicted to pills and pot. America's addicted to pornography. And America is addicted to perversion. And it's saying to our young people and to you and to me, come be like us. Go up to that church on Sunday if you want to and act like you're all religious, but get out here Monday through Saturday and be like us. We won't give you any problems. And Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is it good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be different. And that's what most people want or don't want is to be different. Now let's go back to verse 6. All right. Wherein you greatly rejoice. Because of verse 5, we can, we should rejoice and worship God in the security of our salvation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 says, In everything, how, how much? Everything. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He didn't say for everything, right? I mean, I don't rejoice and I don't really think, I'm not thankful when trials and tribulations hit me and cause me problems. But in the midst of those trials and tribulations, I mean, you're not to say, well, I lost a loved one. I'm thankful for that. No, that, that hurts. That, I understand that. But what we should say in the midst of it, we ought to just be thankful to God. Amen. And that's what that verse is saying. Is it possible? Can we really give thanks to God in the middle of trials and in the middle of difficulties? Well, we should. Not only can we do that, we're instructed in the Word of God to do that. Amen. In everything, give thanks. So what we're going to see in this message this morning is how God moved in the lives of some folks. And he took them through trials and tribulations and created worshipers. Okay? And very first one is all the way back in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. Most Baptist folk can find Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, okay? <laughs> it's the second book of the Bible. 
Genesis chapter 14, and I call it Red Sea Worshippers, all right? Look at these four, first four verses right quick. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pahaharoth, between Migdol and the sea over against Balzephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. You realize what God's saying? He's bringing them out of Egypt. And as he brings them out of Egypt, he says, stop. Camp right here on the Egyptian side of the Red Sea. Now, wait a minute, Lord. The Egyptians are following us. And you want us to camp on this side. We're not warriors. The Egyptians are after us. You want us to camp on this side of the Red Sea? What are you doing? God says, you just wait. I'm going to show you something, and I'm going to show the Egyptians something. So you just hang on for just a moment. Well, now look down to verse 10. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. You realize where God's bringing them? He's bringing to a point of difficulty, a point of where they say, what are we going to do? You ever been there? You ever faced a trial of difficulty and say, I don't know what I'm going to, how am I going to handle this? Where did you turn? Look where they turned. They cried out to the Lord. They said, Lord, we weren't planning on this. You put us here on this side of the Red Sea and you just told us to camp here. God is bringing them to the point of total dependence upon him. And listen, I think we need to be brought to that point sometimes. Verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, because they're afraid now, wouldn't you be if you had the, we're not just talking about some little army, we're talking about some of Pharaoh's best charioteers, some of his fiercest soldiers, and they're coming after these Israelites. I'd be afraid too, all right? And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. What's the first thing he says? Don't fear. Fear ye not. And then he says this, stand still. I tell you what, if I'm on the bank of the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming after me, my feet are going to get a little edgy right there. Come on, Lord. You know, we, we got to go. We got to get out of here. We got to do something. We got to go some way. Now, just hold verse 13 for a moment and listen to these two verses. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Have you ever run ahead of God? And God says, wait, and you say, no, I need to do something now, and you go ahead and do it, and it all falls apart. It turns out disastrous. Why? Because you didn't wait on the Lord. The hardest thing to do is wait. Listen, I have a wife and a daughter. I know how hard it is to wait. Oops, I got that look. <laughs> it's hard to wait. And God says, wait. Now listen to Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently on him. See, if you'll wait on God, you can rest in God. It's when we get ahead of God that we don't rest, 
because we're trying to do God's work for him. He says, rest in the Lord. And again, it's one of the hardest things in the world for God's people to do. Go back to verse 13 now. He says, for the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. They're coming after us. That's all right. Wait here. Why, Lord? Because I'm going to wipe them out. You're not going to see them anymore. Folks, we're talking about faith. We're talking about dependence upon God here. Verse 14, the Lord shall fight for you. Don't you love that part? You know, that's still true in our lives today. The Lord will fight for us. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Don't worry about it. God's got this. We'd say it that way today, wouldn't we? God's got this. He is going to take care of this. Now, go to verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. We know this story. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry and land and the waters were divided and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Now what God did here is not what the movies show you. All right, the Ten Commandments or whatever other movies showed that. God didn't just open up a little path and they walked two by two. Because we're talking about, remember, the Israelites went down into Egypt, 75 people. They went down a family. They came out a nation of two million people. We're talking about moving two million people through the Red Sea. And so it's going to be wider than two by two, all right? God did a marvelous thing. He held back the Red Sea. If they'd been going two by two, they ought to be finishing up just about now. <laughs> two million people. But no, he moved this mass of people through the Red Sea and held back the waters of the Red Sea. And in fact, it says they went on what? On dry ground. Verse 26. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The Egyptians are wiped out. You're not going to see them anymore. You're not going to have to worry about them anymore. God says, I'm going to take care of them. And Moses did what he obeyed. He did what God told him to do. He stretched his hand out. The Lord had brought these people to the very point of total dependence upon him. And God showed his power. Hey, folks, sometimes, like I said, we need to be brought to that point where we say, I've got nothing to offer. There's nothing in me. I can't do anything. I have no strength. I am just right here, and I can't do anything. Lord, if anything's done, you're going to have to do it. And then watch God move. Trust him and watch him move. You say, but preacher, I, why are you telling me all this? Because you might have a trial tomorrow or next week or next month, or next year, sooner or later, you're going to be tested either by God or by Satan. God may allow Satan to test you, but what you need to do is to learn to stand. Stand still and wait on the Lord and trust Him. You say, Brother Jim, do you always do that? No. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't always. I worry sometimes. Every once in a while, rare occasions, right? Those of you who know me, every once in a while, you know, it gets really, really bad. 
I may worry a little bit. And you know that's not <laughs> exactly right either. But here's what we're supposed to do. Stand still and wait on the Lord. Now, verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people, get this, feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. You see what it says? Israel saw, Israel feared, and Israel believed. See, sometimes we need to see God move so we'll learn to trust him more. And then you continue to look at it, and what are they doing? Exodus 15 is that song of Moses, that praise of God for his deliverance. You know what they're doing? They're praising God. They're worshiping God. Now, it didn't last long, did it? They get out a little bit farther, and they need water, and they start complaining against God again. They start griping. But at least at this point, they're glorifying God. They have seen God work, and they're worshiping God. Listen to the 150th Psalm, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 6. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Verse 6 says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Do you have breath? Oh, man, I'm going to have to perform mouth to mouth on some folks here this morning, okay? Do you have breath? Thank you. Praise the Lord. Woo! Right? Okay? Praise God. That's what we're supposed to do. Now let's move from there over to the 18th chapter of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18, we go from Red Sea worshipers to Mount Carmel worshipers. You have to understand what's going on here in the 18th, 19th chapters of 1 Kings. The nation has languished under a spineless, idolatrous king named Ahab. And his wife was worse than him. You know what her name was? It was Jezebel. I don't know of many people that named their children Jezebel these days. She was a domineering, idolatrous woman. In fact, she is so vile that we use the term Jezebel to describe a really immoral, wicked woman these days. In fact, the Lord used the term Jezebel in the book of Revelation, in the second chapter of Revelation, to talk about the church at Thyatira. One of the things that he had against that church, he says, that woman Jezebel, you allow that woman Jezebel to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. That's Jezebel. That's what she was. And the nation had moved in to a great part to the idolatrous worship of a false god named Baal. And they tried to hold on to Baal with one hand and on to God with the other hand, and you cannot do that. Amen. You can't be worldly Monday through Saturday and a Christian on Sunday. Okay? If you're going to be a Christian, you need to be a Christian 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's no time that you're off duty as a child of God. So let's go to verses 17 and 18, here in chapter 18. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? They encounter one another, and Elijah's been going about doing what God told him to do, preaching God's word. 
stirring things up. You know, a preacher ought to sometimes stir things up, you think? Amen. I'm going to make a comment in a moment. I'll repeat myself in a moment. But you know why there's no, why there's ice cubes in the pews these days? Because there's no fire in the pulpit. Amen. What does fire do to ice cubes? It melts them. You get some fire in the pulpit. And remember when we were preaching that series, I was preaching that series on Elijah. I prayed, I want God to make me an Elijah. I want to be an Elijah in this day and age. I don't know what's going to happen with all of that, but that's what I want to do. And maybe that's affected my preaching. I don't know, but since that time, I felt a little more freedom, okay? But he said, are you the one that's out here troubling the nation? Hey, preacher, shut up. You're causing problems. Quit opposing perversion. Quit opposing pornography. Quit opposing pills. You know, just let people do what they want to do and quit preaching that word of God. No, I'm going to preach the word of God. Okay? If you want to call it troubling the nation, I'm troubling the nation. And what did Elijah respond? Well, look at it. Verse 18. He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Listen, folks, it's not the Lord's churches that are troubling this nation. It's those who are enacting laws to allow perversion and all of these things that the Word of God says are sin to be practiced openly and without any regard for what God says. Amen. I didn't expect a whole lot of amens on that one, but that's the truth. We're not troubling the nation. We're preaching the Word of God. We're doing what God said to do. We're standing where God said to do. i tell you something else that's troubling the nation is churches that don't have any backbone that won't stand for the truth. Amen. We need some preachers to get up in pulpits and say, here's what God's Word says, and we're going to do what God's Word says. I don't care what people want to do. By the way, you know a church will choose to do what God says or not to do. I don't think we should ever vote. You know, let's take a vote on whether we're going to obey the Bible or not. All in favor? No, that's not... But we will, by our actions, Amen. vote on whether we want to do what God says to do or not. So Elijah proposes a contest. Look at verse 19. Now therefore send and gather me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450. There's one Elijah, 450 the other. And the prophets of the groves 400. There's 850 now which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. We're going to go into a contest. It's not going to be much of a contest, by the way. You know, when you have God on your side, it's not a contest. We know who's going to win. But he, he proposes this. And then look at what it says in verse 21. He challenges God's people. I'll say again, we need some preachers and some pastors who will challenge God's people today. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? This has the idea of, have you ever watched a child when they maybe hurt their foot or something? And, and they, or they say they did. And so for a while they limp on one. And then in a little bit, they're, they're limping on the other. They forgot. But they're just going through. It also has a picture of a little bird in a tree hopping from branch to branch to branch. Can't settle down. Can't make up their mind which way it needs to be done. And he says this, gets this challenge. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. He said, look, you decide who your God is. 
If God's your God, commit yourself to him, okay? If this is the word of God and this is the truth and what Jesus did, he really did, and you're really saved and you really want to live for him, commit yourself to him. Amen. Don't hop around for a while, you know. But if it's the world, or Baal in this case, hey, get committed to the world. You know, get in or get out. Make up your mind what you want to do. Quit trying to play Christian with God and with the Lord's churches. You say, preacher, you're awfully plain. Well, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. And so he offers the challenge, and you know what the challenge was. We remember this account to the prophets of Baal. We're both going to build altars. We're going to both prepare sacrifices. And you go first, and whichever God answers by fire, that's God. And the prophets of Baal cried and screamed, and they danced around, and they cut themselves, and they put on a good show like a lot of preachers today. Did I say that? Nothing. No fire. And Elijah quietly prayed. And Elijah asked God to show himself. And you know what happened. Fire came down from heaven. It burned up the sacrifice, burned up the altar, burned up the water that was in the trenches around the altar. I mean, God just showed his power. What I want us to see, it's the reaction of the people that we see in verse 39. Because all the way over in verse 39, after all of this has happened, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God brought them to this point of this challenge with the prophets of Baal, the false God they'd been worshiping. And he wiped him out. And God's people responded. The Lord's God. Now there's more to that than just saying Jesus is Lord, okay? Because there's a lot of folks running around saying that and they don't even know what it means because they've heard some preacher say it. No. Folks, the Lord is God Amen. over everything. Not just in the religious realm. The Lord is, we have a king in America and he's God. We don't recognize him as king. You know, we started studying 1 Samuel today and they had a king. His name was God. In chapter 8, they say, we want a human king to be like everybody else. And they turned their backs on God. They didn't follow God anyway. And that's where we are in America today. But when God showed his power, and God may have to show his power on us and on the Lord's churches, on the Lord's people one of these days, where we will get on our faces before God and say, the Lord is God. Amen. It's not about people. It's not about pleasing people. It's about serving and worshiping God. We don't see God's people doing that today very much, do we? I can't help but meddle. We come in on Sunday morning and we go through our emotions, don't we? Through our habits. Sing our songs, have a few prayers, tolerate a sermon, <laughs> and we go away saying, I've served God. Oh, it's not it. The Lord is God. He deserves everything we have. Every bit of our obedience, every bit of our lives. And you know why we don't see God's people doing that? And you're not going to like the answer. It's because our world doesn't see any real difference between a child of God and a child of the devil today. Oh, preacher, I don't want to be different. That's what we're called to do, to be different. 
As I said, there's no real fire in uh, about the Lord's work. There's no real enthusiasm. The reason there's ice cubes in the pew is there's no fire in the pulpit. We'll get fired up about serving God. There's little true worship, I'm afraid, coming out of the Lord's churches today. If we're not careful, we'll get mechanical in our worship. And it's just from here up. You know that worship is supposed to be from right here, from your heart up. And so much of it today is from here up. Listen, I grew up, these songs that we sing, I told you I dated myself when I said I used to listen to Tennessee Ernie Ford sing Stand By Me. Wonderful, wonderful song. Hey, I know the words, of, I know the words of most of the hymns that we sing. Why? I grew up in church singing those and they're, they're in my head. But God doesn't want head up worship. What does John 4, 23 say? God wants true worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth. We may have come to the point many times where our heart's just not in it. One more. Worshippers in persecution. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 5. I'm trying to give you an Old Testament event and some New Testament events. Acts chapter 5. I love Acts chapter 5 and we're going to try to go through this very, very quickly. But Acts chapter 5 verses 40 through 42 is the verses we want to read. And right there it says, And to him they agreed and when they had called the apostles and beaten them. We're going to go back in just a moment and look at the rest of this. When they had a called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You want to do that? And daily in the temple and every house they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Peter and the other apostles had been commanded, don't preach in the name of Jesus again. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. In spite of being told that by the authorities, what happened? Chapter 4, verse 33, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You couldn't shut them up. I know Jesus. Jesus is real. What he did is real. What he does is real. I've got to talk about Jesus. Shut up. No, I've got to talk about Jesus. Shut up. No, I've got to talk about Jesus. Because their attitude in chapter 5, verse 29 is, well, to obey God rather than men. And that's true. Back to chapter 5 now. They depart, verse 41, they departed from the presence of the council doing what? Rejoicing. This is a different word from the other word rejoice. They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were beaten? No. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy. That means deemed entirely deserving. They were counted worthy to suffer shame or to be dishonored or to be despised for his name. Would you rejoice if you were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus and for the cause of Christ? I think there's an attitude about Christianity today is it's all supposed to be sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, you know. Everything, you know, I'm a child of God. Nothing bad is ever supposed to happen. Everybody's going to love me. If you will stand up for the truth, the world will not love you. i say it again. Amen. Who counted them worthy to suffer shame? God did. Okay? God counted them worthy. Why? 
because he knew he could depend upon them to stand true even in the face of persecution in the face of difficulty just like Job I said we're going to say more about Job in just a second we're going to wrap this up I'm sure they didn't like the beating I wouldn't like to take a beating it hurts it feels bad but that's not what they're rejoicing about they're rejoicing this is for the Lord God looked at me and counted me worthy wow to suffer shame for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I mean you can't get a better compliment than that can you well I don't think you can so what did they do after being beaten and threatened and rejoicing that they were counted worthy and daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus hey the only way to shut us up is for us to be taken up How'd they shut Stephen's mouth? They had to stone him to death, okay? That's the only way. And yet he was dying. He glorified God. Could we glorify God as the life was passing from us? I said we're going to say more about Job, and this is it. And then we're going to wrap things up. Job's one more example. I said he lost his fortune. He lost his family. And what did Job do when that happened? Job chapter 1 verse 20 says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. God put Job in a trial. He allowed Job to be put in a trial by Satan. And Satan touched everything material in his life, even his health. And Job said, I'm going to worship God. He said, though, at one point, though he slay me, yet will I worship him, will I serve him. He said, though the skin worms destroy this flesh, with mine own eyes I shall see my Redeemer. Job trusted God. And Job worshiped God. He stayed true to God. Oh, there's so many others in the Word of God that we could name. We can name Daniel. We can name the three Hebrew children. What about Esther and Mordecai? God brought them to a place to save the entire Jewish nation. Naomi and Ruth. I mean, Naomi lost her husband. Ruth lost her husband. Ruth went to a strange land and said, I'm going to be dedicated to your God. I'm going to be dedicated to God. What about the Apostle Paul? I mean, we just name people over and over and over that God allowed them to be in times of trials and they worshiped him. Now listen, not every trial that we face is allowed by God to help us worship him. Some of our trials are of our own making. We do things. But I'm going to leave you with a question this morning as we close this message. Is my faith in God great enough that I can endure and experience difficulties such as these and still worship and praise God. Do I trust God that much? That no matter what happens, I'm going to stand true and I'm going to stand firm and when God brings me through the end of it, I'm going to praise Him. We all experience trials, we all experience difficulties don't look at the difficulty. Look for God in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the trial, and worship Him.